This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And we're here after a rare Giants victory, although it's not really rare if you think about it, because they played the Washington football team. And when the Giants play the Washington football team, especially with Daniel Jones as the quarterback, they seem to win. When they play everyone else in the league, they seem to lose. So 23-20, we're going to make this quick because what this episode is about is not this past game. It's going to be way more about a midseason, where the Giants stand, a midseason review of sorts. And we have a special guest, somebody who's been around the team a lot this year to help us break it all down. So you'll get to that in a few minutes. Pat Leonard, you know everybody loves Pat Leonard. You all love him. You know it. But he's going to join us because he's got a lot of interesting insight into this first half of the Giants season. But let's quickly just go over this Washington game. It's really incredible if you think about it. Daniel Jones is now 4-0 as a starter when he plays Washington. Now, granted, Washington's a bad football team. We get it. But the Giants have played other bad football teams. He's 1-16 against everybody else, though, which is just head-scratching. That one win, of course, is his first career start against Tampa Bay. So, 4-0 against Washington. 1-16. Like, you can't even, like, imagine that that's, it's going to break down that way. Like, by default, it, there should be, like, a win or two against somebody else in there. But crazy that that's his 21 career starts right now. But let's talk about, we'll go real quick through this game. 20 320 they win they they win they close it out with the defense the offense fails to close it out so what happens the Giants defense has to do it not once but twice the first is a Jabril Peppers interception the second a Logan Ryan interception so good job by the defense what really stood out to me about that Logan Ryan interception is Logan Ryan said it uh Joe Judge said it I'm sure Patrick Graham later this week will talk about it they came up with this sort of tweak to a coverage and added this this coverage scheme that they used on the Logan Ryan interception on Saturday. And it's not the first time we heard about this, but the Giants adding stuff like that late on Saturday, which is kind of pretty rare. This isn't something that teams do that often. And ironically, Logan Ryan talked about how they caught it was a it was a play that a defensive coverage that they added in for the two minutes because they they've been terrible in the the two minutes defense drill defensively of stopping teams in the last two minutes of halves this year. So they added it in on, on Saturday and Logan Ryan said they called it at the end of the first half and it resulted in a 32 yard reception by Sims, Steven Sims on Washington. And because Logan Ryan said he didn't really play it right. He misread it. He told Patrick Graham, Hey, you know what? We got to run this play again. I'll be there. I promise you. And what happens? He's there. Gets the interception on a crazy week for him where his wife needed emergency surgery for something called an ectopic pregnancy. Where basically the egg for a baby was growing 
in her fallopian tube instead of her uterus. So they needed emergency surgery. Logan credited his uh, Giants trainer, Justin Maher. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. If I'm not, I'm sorry. Apologize, Justin. Credits this Giants athletic trainer with saving his wife's life. So what a story. Then he comes out, gets the game-winning interception. His wife says, get me a ball. I Meaning you get a ball, you know, when you get a fumble recovery, interception, whatever. So he doesn't just bring home a ball. He has to bring home a ball after getting the game-clinching interception. So pretty darn good story right there. So that's the good from the game. I mean, the Giants defense, Logan Ryan, hats off to you. Tremendous job. The bad, look, I, I want you want to put in the good category the fact that Daniel Jones didn't turn the ball over. Right? I mean, this has been a huge problem. Uh, only his second clean start out of 21 starts with no turnovers. You want to feel great about it, but guess what? In the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter, he fumbles the ball off his own knee. Now, he ends up recovering, and it was fairly harmless, but still, the ball was on the ground. I, like, I want to feel good about the no turnovers, but I just I can't fully feel good. He, he got the ball poked out on another play where it went out of bounds. Like, I could deal with that one. But then you add to this that he basically fumbled with, I think it was four minutes left. I mean, what if the ball took a weird bounce? I mean, that's the thing. A football is not a round object. It's an oblong object. Oblong. Oh, I can't even pronounce it. Oblong object. It could bounce in any direction. If it took a crazy hop, you were talking right now about how unbelievable it is. He fumbled off his own knee. So I just can't feel great about the no turnovers yet. The Giants kind of paled back. Their offensive approach, the idea almost was like, okay, don't make any mistakes. We're going to win this game if you don't make any mistakes. We need a couple throws from you here or there. So, uh, and the WTF for this week is Evan Ingram, again, just maddening. There's the good. He makes this great diving touchdown catch up the seam. He makes a couple other big plays, catch and runs. Then he drops another pass. He drops two passes. He now has six on the year. So that's, you're just, you just you can't believe that this is happening. Like, what? there's just the, the ups and downs, the ebb and flow of Evan Ingram is just maddening. You see the potential. He, this guy oozes potential. When he runs with the football, you see that speed. You see that ability to get open. But then there's just, like, the lack of physicality at times. The fact that his hands are – he's dropping the ball. But you know what? I think it's even more at this point. It's a mental thing. Nobody's going to admit that, but I just think it's in his own head. He's in his own head right now. Evan Ingram is in his own head, and that's the WTF about the whole situation. The drops, the miscues, the ball hits off his hands, almost gets intercepted. You're like, oh, come on. You're too, he's too talented for that. But that's been the story of his season so far. The first nine games have been a mess. He just hasn't had a good We'll call it the first half of the season, even though it's the first half plus one game. The Giants are 2-7 and seven right now. It hasn't gone well for Evan Ingram. It hasn't gone great for the Giants. But, you know, they are playing hard. You can see them making progress, moving in the right direction. So all is not lost. You wish Daniel Jones would join that crew and give you as much confidence as you have right now in Joe Judge, the new head coach. But he just hasn't made that progress in that step. And that's a lot of what we're going to talk about here in the first half review. So let's get to it. On to the next one.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, we're going to do a little mid-season review here. We needed to find somebody who's been around the Giants and plugged in consistently this season, which, to be quite honest, is slim pickings this year in, in these conditions. So we have my man Pat Leonard, New York Daily News Giants reporter, beat columnist, whatever, whatever that title may be. Some, something like that, right, Pat? Yes, Jordan. Thank you. Uh, honored to be on the podcast, man. I, uh, even though you're a competitor, obviously, I think your podcast is great stuff. And frankly, I'm, I feel fortunate that I've escaped the Jordan on the beat segment for the most part. I think I showed up maybe <laughs> once or twice, but I feel fortunate. I think I might've talked trash about your golfing one time, I believe. Yeah, probably, probably with good reason, but yeah, definitely feel like uh, I've, I've been fortunate to escape. My misgivings have not shown up too much on this podcast, well, 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 which is well. probably why I like it. Well, <laughs> let's not say you're going to get away scot-free because the idea was that you come on at some point and we go over your relationship with giants fans in general and the team and how it's gone since you've got on the beat. But I think that's best for an off-season episode because there's so much to get into there that I think people would absolutely love that we're going to hold that for later. So this time we'll concentrate on what's going on this year, but you have to promise me now to come back in the off-season so we can dig into your relationship with the Giants fans. I promise. I think that's a great idea. You you solicit all the questions you want from all the Giants faithful that uh, love to get on me and troll me on Twitter. And we <laughs> we'll can, have to we censor can... those. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into it. I promise. <laughs> okay. Well, let's get into the 2020 New York Giants. All right. Yeah. Let's do confidence scale. Okay. All right. What we've seen, we're going to call it the first half of the season because we're in week nine. You, you could usually, usually it's eight games, but we're through nine games with the Giants. But week nine out of 17 weeks. So it's kind of close to the midway point. Two and seven, of course. Only two wins against Washington. Confidence scale on Daniel Jones right now out of a one to ten is what? Four. I think think he was trending in possibly the right direction coming off his rookie season despite the turnovers as long as, you know, asterisk, he was able to continue improving, not just – whether the turnovers happened or not, but the decision-making, the decisions or bad decisions or non-decisions that led to those turnovers or to field goals instead of touchdowns in the red zone. And I think he has clearly regressed this year, trending downward. Early on, Jordan, I thought Jason Garrett's offense, I did not like the play calling. I thought that the Giants, I think it's obvious too that they put all their eggs in one basket with Saquon Barkley, and once he went down, I mean, it wasn't rolling before then, but certainly with him going down and them having to rethink how they were going to structure everything, it really took a while for them to get going. So I did give Jones a several-week kind of 
buffer there, especially with no preseason and tried to give him the benefit of the doubt. But you, know, you and I were at training camp, even when they were running just 11 on 11 in camp, he was hesitating, patting the ball in the red zone, throwing interceptions in the red zone in camp. Yeah, and it, was, it, was, it just hasn't been great from the start, to be quite honest. It really hasn't. Yeah, no, and you, and you see it and you say, well, let's wait until the mid-year. But frankly, you know, I think if everyone's being honest, and I know, you know, I've, I've heard you say the same thing, but even coming off a Washington game with no turnovers, you know, he puts that ball down on the ground late in the fourth quarter and even Jerry Shaplinsky, the QB coach, is telling us that that scared was the word he used. Yeah, that, scared that us. bothered me. He said it banged off his knee. But that doesn't make me feel any better, by the way. Like, your quarterback's banging the ball off his own knee and putting it on the ground late in the fourth quarter. Uh, only, yeah. oh, I mean, look, when fumbles hit the ground, it's just sheer luck of whether you get them back or not. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the ball's not round. It could bounce in any direction at any time. So, if that, no if, 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 if that didn't happen, I could feel a lot better. Like, I could – I can come away and, and make sense of, okay, he was running near the sideline and got it poked out from behind and had no chance of being recovered. I, I, could, I could excuse that one. I could come up with an excuse for that one. Uh, but yeah. putting the ball on the ground for banging it off your own knee, yeah, that, that, just, that still bothers me. So I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like On my confidence scale, I can't go five or above because there's just too much concern. Like, there's nothing for me. Like Five is like, okay, I feel – average pretty good like I don't feel average or pretty good after this first half right now too too many of the same mistakes is what bothers definitely. me definitely and what he needs to do is a couple things improve the decision making but also I, I just think he needs to win games because if he wins games you know they're not they're not going to beat the Eagles and the Seahawks and teams like this with just their defense holding on by the skin of their teeth, forcing five turnovers like they did against Washington. Right. In order to beat teams that are better than them now, he's going to need to play well. So if he wins games down the stretch, which, by the way, he has not proven he can win games as a Giants quarterback yet. So if he I need wins him to games, do like two or three of those games like last year. Like he, he basically yeah. won him his first start, the Tampa game. He won him the Washington game late in the season where he, he, had, a, he had a dynamite game, right? Like, right. I need to see those. I wanted to see those throughout this year, but you haven't seen him put together that game at any point this season. Like, that to me, if he did that three or four times this year where he, you know, he had a really good game and put them on their back, they scored 30-something and they win. Or even if they scored 30-something and they lose a heartbreaker, I could maybe come up with something. But it's not like that's been happening either, right? Right, right. And like even in the Dallas that- game when they scored those points, a lot of it was because of special teams and defense helping out. Right, and the Buccaneers game was the most alarming because it was the most obvious game that they only lost because of him. Yeah. And, you know, I enjoyed your, you know, back and forth with Don LaGreca about whether to bench Jones or not. And, you know, I agree with you in the sense that in a game like that, I mean, you're starting Daniel Jones every game, as you said. But when the Giants are in a position in the midseason point where despite barely winning any games, they can still rattle off a couple wins and be in it. If you win the first half against the Bucs, you come out with a lead. And if Daniel Jones announces to you at the start of that half that he does not understand the situation, that he is not taking the coaching point, and that he is willing to give the game away, I have no problem at all 
with giving the ball to Colt McCoy to be a game manager if I feel like the team can win the game and then start Jones the next week. I have no problem with that. Yeah, mid-game, I, I would be all right with it. If he's going to make those silly mistakes, like, okay, if you're going to make those mistakes, I'm going to prove a point. You can't make those mistakes, and if you do, it's going to land you on the bench. Now, I'm not saying I would start Colt McCoy and start him for three or four games. Like, that's silly. Like, we need to see what Daniel Jones is. That's, that's, a, that's like – the number one goal of this season right now is to figure out what Daniel Jones is. So, yes, no he should start 16 games as long as he's standing upright and healthy. But right. if in-game he's making foolish mistakes and you have an opportunity to prove a point or even win the game by just not – by surely not making mistakes, I'm all for it. So let's move on on the confidence scale for a second. Uh, you mentioned before Jason Garrett, so let's go, let's go right to him. The confidence scale for Jason Garrett right now, one to ten, is five. But you know, trending, trending better than it was. I think, I think Garrett starting a couple weeks ago, maybe looked like he was finally getting a better feel for where his players needed the ball, when they needed the ball, who could give him what in certain situations. Frankly, I think it was the Buccaneers game. You know, watching him incorporate, uh, you know, Evan Ingram getting the ball downfield against Washington on the touchdown, for example, you know, up the seam, yeah. uh, you know, something that seems so obvious, but something that we just didn't see enough. I think sometimes guys Garrett were just has got all over the field open against the Bucks. Let's not forget that. Yes, right. You know, good point. Good point. And even though he's gotten a little too cute with the gadget plays at times, I like the fact that this is what I like about the whole coaching staff, but Garrett has been there as well. They have recognized, they recognize now who is their, who are their strengths, who are their weaknesses, and they are aware that they need to coach around them. So on offense, whether it's handing the ball off to Evan Ingram or Sterling Shepard in order to get them a touch, even if that's not the optimal touch that you get them, you know, you're giving them the ball. You're giving a playmaker the ball, one of your better playmakers, and you're saying, we're going to try to trick the defense and get you into some space. Now, it doesn't always work, but I do like the fact that they're running a lot of different um, unpredictable and unique um, plays to get their top playmakers the ball because, let's be honest, there's no, there's no surprise on the defensive end, especially early on in this season, that, they were trying to get the ball to Darius Slayton downfield. And other than that, Garrett seemed really rigidly set in the way he wanted to run this offense, run the ball first to set up play action. And then even when they set up play action, you really didn't have more than one route going deep downfield. And even, even some of the plays that I know you and I have both seen, let's say it's third and six and you would see four Giants receivers all run a six-yard hook or out or hitch, and you're right at the sticks. You know, you're not giving anybody a chance to make a, a play. You're, even if they catch the ball, they're barely getting to the first down marker. So I see a lot more creativity than we saw earlier in the season. Unfortunately, in Garrett's defense now, I do think he – I think it's obvious he and the Giants are trying to protect Jones with how they're calling some of these plays and how they're trying to or having to coach around his mistakes. There's also the offensive line, and when you're playing with such a rebuilding offensive line, a lot of young guys have to account for that as well. So he's not in an easy spot, especially with Barkley out. Uh, I, I would say, though, 
I'd give him a five because it's trending upward. But, of course, what he does against the Eagles and how Jones and the offense score and uh, produce against the Eagles is going to have a lot to say about whether they really go into the bye week feeling good about the progress they've made or feeling like it was all for naught and they kind of have to go yeah, back to point. the drawing board. Yeah, that is a good point. This is a big week for that offense. Uh, I actually would probably go a little, just a tick higher, probably a six with Garrett, just because clearly there's been a difference in what they've looked like from weeks one to four when they said that was kind of like the preseason and what they've looked like in weeks five to nine. And yeah. they're clearly a much better offense running more efficiently and effectively they running like the running game is really where it started. It's they, they couldn't have any success offensively if they didn't play better on the offensive line and run the ball better. They like kind of scrapped the outside zone. You know, they've run that a lot less now that Saquon isn't around. They're running uh, more gap and power. So with pulling guards uh, yeah. and w- because that's basically what they have in the backfield. Now they have, Devonta Freeman and Wayne Gallman, these aren't, you know, explosive game makers who you want to get out into open space on the outside. These are north-south runners. Get them up the middle. Get them up, you know, in those gaps real quick. So, mm-hmm. uh, that to me, that that's where it starts. But Jason Garrett, probably a six and uh, a little question mark there afterwards because we're, we're kind of going to see where this is going to go moving forward. You still want to see that passing game progress more and Daniel Jones uh, make that progress that we were looking for this year. No doubt. The defense on the other side, confidence scale with Patrick Graham and the defense in general, one to ten. Where are you at, Pat? Hey, I'm, as far as a coaching job that Pat Graham's done, I'll give him an eight. I mean, you, you know that talk about talk about coaching around your weaknesses. I mean, this is a this is a yeah, defensive this sports CB two, <laughs> right? CB2, Who the heck is that guy? No elite pass rusher. You know the. Uh, the fact really that they come in when Graham comes in and, you know, you think about the Belichick defensive style and Brian Flores and then now Pat Graham, they want to play man to man press coverage on the outside with their corners and look at how much zone the giants are playing. Look at how frequently they are disguising their coverage rather than just lining up and playing ball. And there's a reason for that. It's because they cannot, win for four quarters man on man against people with their personnel so what did yeah, they and do they're rolling stuff like they did on that play with uh with logan ryan to win it like they're, they're rolling guys everywhere all over the place to kind of disguise it and even like instead of bringing pressure pressure from normal spots like you know the slot cornerback's gonna come the outside cornerback's gonna come the safety you know from the linebacker spot's gonna come I mean, they're bringing it from everywhere even if it's only four men Right, no doubt, no, no doubt, and they're, you know, I, I'm glad you mentioned the the blitzing the extra guy. It's a lot of times they're replaced. They'll drop a lineman or an edge, and they'll replace him with a blitzing corner. And there's a couple of things that that does. One is that it makes it unpredictable for the quarterback who's coming after the snap. The other thing it does, though, often is it takes a guy out of coverage who might be a liability, say like Darnay Holmes, who has struggled in coverage. But when he's on the field and you're mixing it up and the quarterback doesn't know whether he's going to be out there on his man or in a spot or in your face, now that changes things, it might make him a little bit more effective. You're playing to a guy's strengths rather than maybe his potential weaknesses. It's another example, Jordan, frankly, of Judge, Graham, Garrett, this staff, you know, the Giants in so many of these previous years, one of their main problems from ownership on down 
is either an unwillingness or an inability to recognize their weaknesses or their failures. And I think it's just so smart of a guy like Pat Graham, for example, to look at his defense and not only change his scheme from what he entered the season with, but every week recognize that he has to change it up in order to stay competitive because he's saying this guy struggles in man-to-man coverage. This guy's not tackling as well. This guy doesn't blitz as well. And now, okay, what does this offense do well and how am I going to scheme against it? Even to the point where they don't have an elite pass rusher and that kills them. But some games they're playing with four guys down on the line. There's some games where they play with three. And, you know, I, th- I can't remember which game it was where Kyler Fackel pr- pretty much was the only edge who played the entire game. It was the um, game and- uh, where we thought we were going to see Marcus Golden. Right, exactly. So and he didn't even probably, show up. Yeah, it was probably – might have been the first Philly game. Yeah, 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 I think you're right. And then the, even against the Rams, they, they load the box, which, you know, which McVay and the Rams love to run the ball. So they load the box, and they knew exactly how to play the Rams. So – yeah, I, I give, I'll give Pat Graham an eight. And uh, the last thing I should add, too, is you mentioned that Logan Ryan play for the game-winning interception. That also presented recognition from Graham and Judge of the fact that they can't stop teams in the two-minute, either at the end of the half or the end of games, and that they have to find a way. They have to do something different. You can't just keep doing the same thing. And so Logan Ryan and Graham and Judge, they put their heads together. They install a play the night before the game, and it works. And yeah. so that's what coaching's about. That's because they, they did not have – they don't have that player. You know, those difference-making players at the end of the games that can, can take over and, and end it. So I agree with you. Patrick Graham on, on himself, I'd probably even give him a nine. Uh, the defense in general, I'd probably give them a seven only because of the expectations. Not that they're like a, a really good unit. They're an average unit right now. Yeah. But average, I think, is what you were hoping to get from this unit because – Talent-wise, with what they have, average is about, you know, you're not going to max out at much more than average, let's be honest. So, right. Uh, we'll do real quick because I, I, I think the, we both agree on this one. The early returns have been positive. Joe Judge, confidence level, confidence scale, 1 to 10. Where, where are we going here? Yeah, I mean, I would give him a 9. I'm not going to give him a yeah, 10. Yeah, a 9 too. Yeah, not with, his, with the record. You know, I don't even think he would give himself a 10. But I, I do think that, you know, a lot of what I just mentioned with what Graham is doing with the defense is also how Judge has managed the team. I think that his ability to embrace people, such as Logan Ryan in the situation with his wife, and to, to put the humans first, and or you know people first, and then also on the flip side, in the same day that he's handling the Logan Ryan situation, he's basically uh, you know sticking his foot up Golden Tate's rear end and telling him to <laughs> stay away from the team. You know, that, that's an interesting and difficult balance that to strike in the NFL, especially these guys, you know, like these guys get paid a lot of money and they don't need to hear anything from a 38-year-old head coach like that. But to you see know, Judge- You know what's interesting with the, with the Golden Tate part of it? The fact that he seems to be able to have done it and disciplined him and basically benched him, didn't play him, and still have him where he didn't blow a gasket and just say, you know, screw you, I'm out of here, just get me out of here, and be so disgruntled that he, he doesn't want any part of the Giants. He seems to have, you know, managed to do it with kid gloves and where, where Tate's still going to come back. Now, obviously, maybe we don't know how he really feels deep down, and he mm-hmm. might be pissed off and not want to have any part of this, but 
he's going to be at least willing to play along. It, it appears like so that that's yeah. that's a that's not an easy thing to do. That's a very tricky situation right there. No, that's well said. And I think along with that, it seems like, or at least I know, um, I think Albert Breard reported that you know Judge had his captains on board with the decision. And now that you know, that's kind of implicit in the fact that he says he talks to the players and and he let them know what was happening. But that could be part of it too, is that he's created such buy-in around the team from the captains on down that even if Tate wanted to buck after this, that it sounds like he Judge has created a lot of believers and the united front in order to give Tate really nowhere to go, no allies to kind of uh, you know storm the castle, if you will. Yeah, for sure. So we're, we're, we're high on, on uh, the confidence scale there. So let's go. Pleasant surprise for the first half of the season for you was, which is what, player, uh, area, team, whatever, where, whichever way you want to go. A pleasant surprise on the Giants for the first half. Some of the things I, w- I will go with Blake Martinez. Yeah, he was definitely on the list here for me. He, you know, some people criticize that, say that oh, was a bad signing, even though – you know, and this is a proven player in the NFL, but yeah, he's been dynamite. He really yeah, I'll tell I'll tell you what I I was one of the skeptics, especially with what they paid him, and also, you know, frankly, you talk to people when he a guy like Martinez gets the kind of money the Giants gave him, and you just heard a lot of he's a good player, but he's not that player. Right, kind because of his comments. coverage, his coverage was really the thing, right? That's the knock on him. His coverage isn't great, but that's not what you know they they're not using him to cover tight ends one-on-one. Like that's yeah. not, that's not what their plan was for him. I think we realize that now, right? I mean, he, right. that's not what they're asking him to do. He's asked to be the conductor of the defense, the leader, the guy who calls the plays in the middle and to run free and make tackles and play his own defense underneath. No doubt. And I, I, the one positive, the one good review kind of review that kept cropping up when they signed him that you heard was if the basically that the giants plan was to use their deep defensive line in front, which is pretty much their best position group on the team, to eat up the offensive line and the blockers up front and to keep Blake Martinez clean. And that if he was kept clean and wasn't, people didn't get to the second level all the time and get a body on him, that he could really clean up and do a lot of damage for their defense. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing you know, early in the season, you did see some of those plays where he, like, especially the Niners game. I mean, that was a no-show for everybody, but there were several plays the Niners, you know, kind of gashed them outside where uh, Blake wasn't able to get outside and the guy gets up to the second level and he gets wiped out. And frankly, a lot of my, part of my opinion and skepticism came from that last game he played against the Niners for the Packers, where the Packers gave up about a 500 yards of offense in the playoffs. Right. And you think to yourself, wait, this is the Giants' solution, a guy who, who was a major factor in that catastrophe for Green Bay, but he has been a great leader for them. And also, you know, pleasant surprise, I would add to the Martinez comment, just the fact that since Judge has gotten here, this year's additions, like look at their defense, Bradbury, Logan Ryan, Blake Martinez, you know, even go to special teams with a guy like Graham Gano. They are just adding guys who are NFL players. Right. Not who are, we're not going to like the top, top, top of the free agents. And we need these splashing names, like, you know, the golden Tates and, and, and uh, Nate Solders and guys like that. It's like, okay, let's, uh, 
just get quality players, not break the bank for them, but, you know, we'll pay them well. But, and, and that seems to be a shift in philosophy a little bit. No doubt. Yeah. And I think, I think getting these guys on the team, they're NFL players like Blake Martinez is a guy now at middle linebacker. Like, you know, as much as their defense isn't perfect, you know, you can't, it's you, I don't, I can't remember the last time I said about a giants linebacker. Wow. If this guy missed a game or if he wasn't on the field, the Giants would be in such big trouble. I mean, he is that valuable to them. Yeah, if he goes out there, they're totally screwed. We've tested no doubt about that. I'll go with Nick Gates as a pleasant surprise. I know it started really poorly, but the fact that they might actually have a center now, he's played really pretty well, probably the last three, four, five weeks, uh, seems to be growing into that position. That was one of those where I probably was very hesitant to think it was going to work to start. And then you saw the early returns, you're like, whoa, this is going to be a disaster. He won't be there much longer. And now it looks like they might actually have a, a center long-term. I mean, Nick Gates, he's a guy who's been playing well. He actually moves well for a guy that big. So uh, I'll, I'll consider that. I have Leonard Williams on this list that I put down. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Bradbury, as you mentioned before, he's on the list. Uh, Kyler Fackrell is like probably to a lesser degree because he's kind of tailed off a little bit here. Uh, so on my pleasant surprise list. And so, yeah, I, I would – I think – I think Gates – no, I'm sorry. I think – I think Gates is a great one. That's a great point. He, he is the guy on offense. And, uh, you know, I, I think we should add, too, that I, I'm trying to remember exactly what he said. But his first interview, I think, in the summer, I think it was in August. It might have been in early September. Even he sounded overwhelmed by how much information he was processing, how different center was from tackle as far as pre-snap recognition. So there was plenty of reason to, want, to wonder and worry how he would do there. And you're right. I mean, you mentioned how different Garrett's offenses looked, say the last four weeks compared to the first four, whatever. I think Gates along with that, he, he has, he has played his best game of the season, basically every game the last couple of weeks now. Yeah. It makes it's their interior, you know, look decent, like look, look pretty solid and decent. Like if they always had, the guards were never, are never the biggest problems, right? They have, they maybe might not have played great. Will Hernandez at times and, and Zeitler, but still, it, they're the strengths of that line. Like, even at their worst, they're decent players for the most part. No uh, doubt. You may, obviously, with Zeitler, better. But so, as long as you have Gates with them and he's playing at at least a decent to quality level, then you have a, a solid interior. The, the edges will get to that. Biggest disappointment that's where you can slide into, the, in, into that because hmm. uh, where, where, you, where would you go? Biggest disappointment. Biggest I mean, should, we just, should we discount Daniel Jones and the lack of uh, improvement? Because, I mean, that, that's, that was my first thought when I think of disappointment. Of like, I wanted to see improvement, and I just, we're kind of in the same spot we were last year. No doubt. There's no, yeah, there's no one close to Jones as far as the biggest disappointment, I think. You know, I, I look I – I think of the offensive side of the ball, and I think of disappointment, frankly. Right. And well, Jones, I, have, I have three yeah. names listed. So, who, take away Jones. Who are you going with? Biggest disappointment. Uh, Evan Ingram, I think, okay. you know, not that. And I'll go with Andrew Thomas because those are those okay. are the two. Those are the three guys I had listed: is Daniel Jones, Andrew Thomas, Evan Ingram. Like you know, you wanted to see more from a rookie left tackle, and obviously, yeah. you go ahead. I mean, Evan Ingram, we could sit here, for, we could sit here for days. Right. Yeah. No, I think, and I, you're right. Is Thomas maybe more disappointing in sense of what you're expecting versus what you got? Whereas we already knew what Ingram struggled with and was good at, and it's kind of just been all magnified on both fronts frankly but there's less um, excuse for evan ingram yeah you know, like at least okay 
Andrew Thomas, we kind of expect it. He'll be up and down because he's a rookie. But Evan Ingram, geez. No question. Yeah, and with the way, I've, the way I feel about Thomas is he, he is really a guy that – because one thing I see from their – you know, the way they're rotating the offensive line, the way they're working Purden, the way that uh, Thomas, you know, started and that they're basically riding him there at left tackle. We all know that this is a long-term developmental project, and so I was certainly willing to give him four, five, six games to say, okay, no preseason for this guy. Let's see how he handles things once the midseason point arrives. Right. Uh, but, but to your point, you're at left tackle starting in the NFL. Whether you're developing or not, you're expected to produce. And I think Joe Judge has said that. Mark Colombo has said that. You know, no one's making excuses for Thomas just because he didn't have a preseason. He can't, he's got to be more of – he's going to have some busts. But first of all, they can't happen regularly as they were early in the year. And also I think of, you know, even the Washington game, like he and Lemieux had a couple of their worst pass break, pass protection breakdowns late in the fourth quarter when it mattered. Yeah. And, you know, that's what you do not want to see. Well, let's see how it goes because the first member of the first game against Philadelphia was a total disaster for uh, Andrew Thomas. That was, that was the game I, he was just getting, you know, yep. he just couldn't block anybody. So, all right, let's finish up with a couple games here. Ready? Yep. So let's do guess the pro football focus grade, okay? <laughs> okay. So, which, let's start with we'll, – we'll, uh, we'll start with the positive, okay? Leonard Williams, out of 100, his pro football focus grade is – 83. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I gotta. I gotta pop it up here. Wait, he's not. Where's that? That position's not coming up. Hold on one second. Uh, he's actually. I know. I believe by. Uh, here we go. Interior defender, Slender Williams. I, I know he's probably around like in the teens of rated out of defensive lineman, interior defensive lineman. You said eighty-three. Wait, you're saying what is he? Seventy-nine point nine. Pretty close. Okay. Pretty close. Right. He's number fourteen out of all def- oh. interior defensive linemen. It doesn't mm. count. Doesn't count like uh now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Anejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Edge rushers, basically. They try gotcha. to separate them by edge rushers. So 79.9. Here's the ironic part. His grade isn't because he's pass rush is great and he has those five sacks because his pass rush is 68. His run stuffing stopping grade is 81 and a half. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Dexter Lawrence settles at 17 and Dalvin Tomlinson 20. So three of the top interior edge guys, I mean, uh, interior guys by PFF are New York Giants. Now let's have some fun. Let's go to the cornerbacks. Oh boy. Which 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 one you want to guess, Pat? I don't think Corey <laughs> Ballantyne is not did not qualify. So we can't go that direction. So how about uh you want to do um Isaac Yadam? 
Let's do Yadam. Let's and do Yadam since he was he's the current starter and Ryan Lewis is on IR. So Isaac Yadam. Isaac Yadam. I will say he grades at a thirty seven. No, you're way too low, Pat. Way too low. Fifty one point one. Wow. He's ranked eighty fifth out of one sixteen. But by the way, eighty six out of one. 16 is like dynamite compared to some of these other Giants guys. Man, I'm sleeping on Isaac Yadam. You know, wow. you know what it is? Sneaky. Isaac Yadam's, uh, you know, uh, coverage is pretty much where you said it's 40.5, like terrible. Uh, oh, there you go. Maybe, maybe that might be like the lowest in the league or up there. I can't even find anybody who's lower than that right now going down. I know nobody in the 30s. Right, there's a couple guys at the bottom of the list here in the 30s. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, he grades really well, and this kind of boosts his grade by his pass rush and his run stuffing. Okay, so he's like in the 80s there, so that buoys him a little bit. That without that, I mean, he'd be he'd be in the hundreds. You know, um, let's guess guess the order here. Ready? PFF right. grades between Yadam, mm-hmm. Holmes, Darnay Holmes. Wow. Ryan Lewis. I'll say. I'll say Lewis is the highest, followed by Yadam, followed by Holmes. Now, see, this is the sneaky part. Lewis is the lowest. Uh-huh. He's 110 out of 116 for cornerbacks this year. Holmes is, Holmes is almost as bad. He, Lewis is a 41.2 grade. Holmes is a 43.9 grade. And then Yadam blows him away. But the key to Yadam, like I said before, yeah. It was because he he had a couple good blitzes where he got home. And then he also uh did well in the run the run defense grade. So I wonder I wonder how much it's worth on Lewis too that even in the games where he's not a liability most of the game, he's been giving up these enormous game deciding passes on these late drives. Like if that's weighted. Um, yeah. you know, because they, they do some know. crazy things, that's for sure. PFF sometimes. Two things, two things I wanted to add from what we were talking about before, just real quick. One is that Leonard Williams is having a good season, and he's also playing a ton. Like, he's in great shape. Like, he's – going into last week, he was playing over 70% of their snaps. I think he's still there because he played over – let's see. He played – That's a lot, man. Yeah, he played 70%. So he's playing like 72% of snaps for them, which is a ton for him to still be playing well. And the other thing was – I wanted to mention on special teams, Cam Brown, as far as like a surprise, you know, you just don't expect a lot out of late round picks. And right. obviously you want guys we to don't factor know in. Which on, guy's going to flash on special teams. Yeah. And you want, you want somebody to factor in on defense if he's a defensive player. But I mean, Brown's played the third most snaps on special teams on the entire team now. And that play he made to force that fumble in Washington on the punk coverage Man, that's that, that was a great play. I go watch that forever. So that was that was like a special team surprise. There you go. Uh, two more, two more. Guess your PFF grades. Evan Bring Ingram. It. No, this is hard. Okay, the, you've I've learned from my previous mistakes here that I can't just think of say one element that he's bad or good at. I got to consider the entire player. Let's go with. 53. Pretty close. 
56 and a half. Ooh. He's because he's, he, he's been bad across the board this year. So I'm, get, I'm getting better. I'm getting yeah. better. His run block, his pass block, his his receiving. I mean, we're all talking in the 50s. Uh, actually, his run block is in the 40s. So everything, everything else is in the 50s. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Evan Ingram, tight end number, what did I say, 50? Hold on, I scroll down. Got to go down now. Keep going down. I'm going, oh, whoa, down even further, further. 54 out of 67. Yikes. That's incredible. All right, so last one. Guess your PFF grade. Blake Martinez. I didn't look up this one yet, so I'm, I'm kind of curious. How does this – how does this pan out? Because you're talking about a guy who we think is playing really well. Does PFF I, agree? I'm pretty sure Leonard Williams was their highest graded player going into the last game. Or was it right after the game? I'm going to say, and you said Leonard was like a 79 or something, right? Yeah, he was right I'm gonna, on the uh, like 79.3, I think it was. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put Blake right behind him at, 77. No, Blake Martinez is graded is rated graded above oh, Leonard Williams with an 80.4. He is sixth of all linebackers. There right? you go. At 80.4 in a range with guys like Darius Leonard, Levante David, uh KJ Wright. I mean, this is this is big bo- big boy territory here. 80.4 overall, 85 and a half run defense. His pass rush, which he only does sporadically really on blitzes, is not great. 54.9. His coverage, a more than respectable 71.7. How about that for Blake Martinez? Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I, again, something I attribute to kind of a, a nice mesh of coaching and player. You know, let's, let's figure out your strengths, let's figure out your weaknesses, and let's coach to them. All right, and we got to get out of here soon because we got to get we got to get to practice, right? So let's do That's a little right. word association, Pat. Quick, I say a word or phrase, and you tell me the first thing that comes to your head. Ready? Yep. The New York Giants franchise rebuilding. Dave Gettleman, uh, soon to be fired. Corey Ballantyne. <laughs> I'm laughing at the soon to be fired. Forget, forget the Corey Ballantyne. The laugh could have just went one into the other. <laughs> Corey, uh, Corey Ballantyne, uh, good kid, bad player. NFC East champion. Philadelphia Eagles. Brad Wing. Oh, wait, don't get into that one. That way, that, that's the team. <laughs> Left off the boat save, We're going to have to save that. <laughs> for the off-season episode, <laughs> Pat Leonard dynamic. You see, that's called the tease, my friend. That was that's a good tease. Called the tease, Brad Wing, and we'll end on that. Thank you, Pat Leonard, for coming on and doing our mid-season review. On to the next one. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. 
Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Fun little segment there with Pat Leonard. I know he creates quite a reaction amongst you fans, but good guy uh, if you get to know him well, which 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 I do. So we we do still do need to bring him back because there's a lot to discuss on the other end of things with Pat and when he first came on the beat and uh, his relationship with a lot of fans and and so, even some of the players. So we'll get to that. I promise. We'll do we'll, that, that. That's an off season. A podcast project for us, so we'll, we'll get to that. We got a couple more of those, that, you know, similar things that we, we need that I have in mind that I would really like to do one of these off seasons that we, we got to get done, got to accomplish. But in the meantime, we're in the 2020 season, so I'm going to give you a little Jordan on a beat here. This is the portion of the show where I tell you what it's like to cover the Giants, work for ESPN, cover the NFL in general. Now, it's a way way different year than it has. Always, and I'd always been covering the NFL, and I've talked about this a lot here on this show. But and we didn't, I didn't go to the Redskins, oh, the Washington game. I said the dreaded R word again. <clears throat> didn't go to the Washington game, you know, it was a road game. Um, the benefit of going to these games, given the circumstances and the limitations, there's no locker room, you can't really talk to anyone, they're pretty minimal. So the juice isn't worth the squeeze when it comes to going to road games. So I'm stationed at home, you know, on my desk. I got my, you know, the two computers set up, the TV, uh, the next-gen stat system set up where I basically, I get those dot diagrams right after plays. And uh, I could also get the actual replay of the play from some different angles through that system, uh, you know, a few minutes after it actually happened. So pretty good setup at home. But let me tell you this. I did not miss going to that FedEx stadium. Okay, when you talk about stadiums that stink, that's near the top of the list for a lot of reasons. Players, the turf is always garbage. It's usually terrible. Didn't notice it so much this time, but usually there's humongous divots flying up. It's not the best field. Start with that. Okay, then you want to talk from a reporter standpoint why I don't miss going. I mean, the viewpoint you usually get from there, you're in the middle section, the mezzanine, in like near the end zone, and in which that isn't ideal from a viewer perspective in the first place. But as if that's not enough, because I could deal with that, there's always like a pole in your way. There's, the, the, the view is just terrible. I'm telling you. It's, it's just awful. You're on these little chairs. They're uncomfortable. They're crunched. It's just a, not a good viewing experience from that stadium. So I do not miss going to FedEx Stadium this year and watching that game live. In addition to that, and this is real – you know, first world reporter, you know, uh, complaining reporter problem. The food in that place stinks. The worst. There is no stadium that serves worse media food than FedEx Stadium. And it's not even close. And they serve you like these hot dogs that like look green and like there's salad and the lettuce is brown. And that's pretty much it. That's the buffet. Now, granted, I sound like a whiny bee just sitting here complaining about you know, the free food I'm getting. And I, I, I get it. I, and it is whiny. And it's pathetic. But I'm just telling you, this is not going to Washington, to FedEx Field for a game. I consider that a win. So that's a, a peripheral benefit of everything that's going on here with COVID and uh, some of the limitations this year that everybody really is having to follow. So there we go. That's my uh, Jordan on a beat for this week. Thank God. No Washington in 2020 for me.
And I was happy about it. I was happy about it. Good setup at home. Crushed pistachio nuts the whole game. Uh, had like the big bowl next to me of pistachios. You know, the empty shells just like piled up. I find, you know, I'm still finding them on my floor like, you know, th- two, three days later. You know, that's living. If you ask me, if I could have thrown in a beer in there, which I wouldn't do while I'm working, that would have been pretty sweet because that was a, a, a nicer setup than sitting in FedEx Field. And with that, I'll give you my game game prediction for this week. Giants against the Eagles. Now, remember, the Philadelphia Eagles already beat them once this year. Granted, the Giants blew it, but they have blown several of the last few matchups. In the end, they couldn't stop Carson Wentz and the Eagles passing game when they needed to. Now, Carson Wentz admittedly has been a mess. I mean, everybody knows it. Everybody's looking at that. Something's not right. He hasn't played well. Too many mistakes sound familiar, but it's hard for me. To sit here at this point and say the Giants are going to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm just, I can't, I still can't go there with my prediction. Eight straight losses to the Eagles. And like I said, for all Carson Wentz's problems, for as bad as he's played this year, when he needed to, he drove the Eagles down the field twice like it was nothing. Like it was nothing. So this is an Alex Smith. Because for all Carson Wentz's problems, and there have been plenty, he could still make plays. Like, yeah, he turns it over a lot, but at least he's producing touchdowns. He's producing big plays. And to me, that's probably enough to beat this Giants team right now. This Giants team, that back, you know, we're circling back to the beginning here, has two wins, and they're both against the same team, and they're against Washington. So I'm not bold enough at this point. I need to see this, see it before I believe it, the Giants are going to beat the Eagles, or even the Cowboys, right? Because they haven't in, what, 15 straight games, matchups, with their two biggest NFC East rivals. Haven't beat them. So I'm picking Eagles 32, Giants 20. Here's the problem here. The Eagles are getting healthier, and I think they're going to be better offensively. This should probably help Carson Wentz. I mean, let's say they get back Miles Sanders, their running back, really good running back, Lane Johnson, stud right tackle, Okay, Dallas Goddard is in his second game back, their tight end. Jalen Rieger, who is their first or second round pick this year, he's in his second game back, I believe, as well. So right there, that's four starters, basically. That the, oh, and Alshon Jeffrey is supposed to come back this week. So that's five, potentially five starters on offense coming back for them. So clearly a different team the Giants are going to face. Let's say three of them come back. Any team that's adding or getting back three starters, that's a boost. That's going to help them offensively. And with the Giants, the Giants' weak points are still their offensive line isn't great. Very susceptible to pass rush. The Eagles' strength, one of their strengths, their defensive front is always very strong. So they pressure the Giants' quarterbacks. They have – that's partly a big part of why they've won eight straight, the Philadelphia. So the matchup to me is just not good for the Giants. And then when they need it – you know, the Giants don't have that difference-making defensive playmaker to, to really stop anybody. Uh, Alex Smith kind of stopped Washington the other day, late in the game. Otherwise, he was driving them up and down the field. So what makes me think, if it comes down to and it's a close game, Carson Wentz and this Eagles offense won't be able to do it. So until I see it, I'm not going to believe it. Philadelphia 32, Giants 20. 2-8 and eight through 10 games, heading into the bye week. That's where I see it. And with that, that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. As always, you can reach out to me, Facebook, Instagram, 
Twitter, uh, email. You know how to reach out. You know how to reach me. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. Uh, subscribe. Tell your friends. Give us a good rating. Provide as much feedback as possible. I'm always welcome to feedback, good or bad. I'm a big boy. I wear big boy pants. I can handle it. So you have any suggestions, feel free to throw them my way. And with that, that's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time. <laughs>